It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The latest from 7 News with Michael Usher. Good evening and welcome. Tonight, the country's major vaccine milestone as New South Wales hits its first reopening target. New rules for Victoria's border and a home quarantine trial in Queensland. The post-COVID hiring spree coming for Australia and the controversial new streaming sensation Squid Game. But we're about an hour away from seeing major changes to Victoria's border rules, meaning home for residents stuck interstate is tonight that little bit closer. Our reporter Estelle Greeping is live in Melbourne tonight. Estelle, good evening to you. It won't be easy getting back in, though, so let's talk us through what exactly is changing. Good evening, Michael. Well, from midnight tonight, those in red zones in New South Wales and the ACT will be downgraded to orange zones, and that means they can come back into Victoria. They'll need to isolate, though, until they get a negative test result. In red zones, if you're travelling from one of those, it means you'll have to fill out an online application and then quarantine for 14 days. These rule changes come as we see quite a stark difference between New South Wales and Victoria. While case numbers in New South Wales have gone just below 600, here in Victoria, we had more than 1,400 new cases today. Yeah, and it's still a very concerning time tonight for some parents and children at the Royal Children's Hospital at COVID risk. What details do you have about that? Well, Michael, this was at the Kookaburra Ward, which is the children's oncology ward. And we know that there was a parent there that visited a couple of days ago while they were infectious. We're still waiting for more details on around the times of exposure and the amount of parents and children who will have to quarantine for 14 days. We understand they'll have to quarantine in their hospital rooms for that two-week period. The hospital says this is just another sign that vaccination is really important to stop this from happening again. And this comes as the state government says they plan to roll out rapid antigen testing in our healthcare settings. Estelle, a separate matter today, uh, the Premier's brushing off calls to resign over reports he's been interviewed by the anti-corruption watchdog. Uh, let's first have a listen to Daniel Andrews dancing around those questions. If you want to know who IBAC are inquiring into and what they're doing and how they're doing that, then you should speak to them. All right, Estelle, the Premier legally might have to stay quiet on this one. Well, yes, Michael, and that's because under IBAC rules, it can be an offence if you speak about how you've been interviewed or you're being investigated by the anti-corruption watchdog. This is all started because in 2019, there was a matter that started to be investigated by IBAC that involved a dispute between the state government and the union over firefighting reforms. And today it was in the headlines because there were reports that IBAC was looking into how Daniel Andrews may have played a role. But he certainly didn't want to comment today and neither did back, Michael. All right, still grouping. Thank you for that in Melbourne. Crisis Cabinet's been in talks tonight about what restrictions to potentially wind back early in New South Wales with the state's first reopening target of 70% fully vaccinated reached. Tom Hartley's our reporter outside State Parliament in Sydney for us tonight. Tom, good evening to you. So we know Premier Dominic Perrottet wants to get the ball rolling and pretty fast. What do we understand he'd like to see happen sooner rather than later? 
Well, Michael, we're expecting to see a few changes, one of those being an overhaul of the mask-wearing rules. At this point in time, the current plan with the roadmap is that masks will remain mandatory indoors right up until the start of December, but we understand that Premier Perrottet believes that is far too long. He really wants to see people getting back into office spaces. He specifically wants to see the Sydney CBD and the Parramatta CBD firing again. He says that's what it'll take to get the economy back up and running. There's a particular push to get uh, people back into schools, that's teachers and students, and also getting people back into places of worship. So we're expecting to see some restrictions easing around those areas, as well as uh, visitation to hospitals as well. But as far as it goes for people who are unvaccinated, no changes there. And Tom, our first sighting today also of Gladys Berejiklian since her resignation. What did she have to say? Well, overall, the Premier was really overwhelmed to see that a vast array of flowers and messages and posters left outside her electorate office in Willoughby. She was there actually to speak to staff, but she did pop outside to, to say thank you and to say that she was grateful for the support and the well wishes of her community. Take a listen. It's very comforting, thank you. It's been enormous comfort to know people care and I want the community to get behind uh, Premier Perrottet, as I know they will. She didn't answer any questions about that upcoming ICAC inquiry, nor did she uh, say that she was interested whatsoever in taking a tilt at federal politics. All right, Tom Hartley there at State Parliament in Sydney. Thank you. Home quarantine for returning residents from interstate is going to be given a practice run in Queensland with a trial to start next week. Let's go to our reporter, Ned Baum, in Brisbane. Ned, good evening to you. What's this trial going to look like? Good evening, Michael. Well, it won't just be available to just anyone. The state government confirmed today that 1,000 Queenslanders will be trialling home quarantine starting from next Monday, but it will come with some pretty strict restrictions, starting with, well, basically, if you, you they will have to fly into Brisbane first and foremost, and they will have to live in one of the eight southeast LGAs. Now, in addition to that, they will they'll only be able to stay in a house or a townhouse, meaning that apartments, well, they're out of the question because they, uh, they involve shared facilities. On top of that, they will also have to have a smartphone with connection to a home quarantine app that will allow them to be tracked during that time and they will also have to be tested on days 1, 5 and 12. So there is a lot that is going into this but hopefully it is the first step to getting more Queenslanders back home. Yeah indeed it's a good first step as well. Ned we're still none the wiser however about the Premier's intentions around the borders. Here's Anastasia Palaszczuk on that. We've got a national plan and that national plan we're in phase A and we are following phase A uh, then, of course, the federal government has to plan the booster shots. So then we've got to get everyone vaccinated. Then we've got to get everyone a booster shot as well. Then we need a plan for the children. All right, a very broad response, I think it's fair to say. Did the Premier go on to narrow that down about what she wants to get before we get a plan? Unfortunately not, Michael. At the moment, Queensland sits around at 49% double jab rate. Uh, now, we are still gunning for that 80% double dose rate. That's the magic number that we're going for. But there's no real sense yet or commitment or firm commitment from the government whether the borders will actually reopen mm. when we get to that 80% number. Now, from the press conference today, we were really left with more questions than answers, answers especially after the Premier brought up the ACT's stellar first jab rate, which is more than 90%. It still remains unclear whether that is actually a benchmark that she will want us to reach here 
in Queensland. Another big factor going into the reopening is actually the current state of the healthcare system. We've seen in the past day we had four code yellows as a result of overcrowding and overcapacity in Queensland. Now obviously a great, a great concern there is that if we do open the borders and COVID is, it comes in again, whether that number of code yellows will increase. That needs to be addressed and the vaccination rates need to come up, Ned. All right, Ned Baum, live in Brisbane, thank you. With just days to go until freedoms are restored in Sydney and Melbourne not too far behind, there are some encouraging predictions of a jobs bounce back. Network Finance Editor Gemma Acton's here to talk about it. Gem, good evening to you. So apparently talk of an imminent hiring spree. Yes, Michael. Often this time of year you'll get a hiring spree anyway, whether that's retail and logistics to cope with uh, the Christmas shopping season, hospitality because people are going to parties and going out more, or services like hair and beauty because they want to look good for the season. Uh, but this year, given that over the last four months more than half of the country at some point has been in lockdown, Sydney and Melbourne obviously far more than that, they really think this spending is going to be amplified, partly because people just want to get out again, resume their lives, see their family and friends, but partly because since the pandemic began, Australians have done such a good job of saving money and also paying down debt. So various economists estimate there's around 100 to $200 billion of excess savings that we could deploy. And obviously that will depend on if more lockdowns come back, if state borders reopen, but businesses need to be prepared for this surge in spending. And so they're getting ahead of that and hiring not just casual workers for the Christmas period, but permanent workers as well. But a problem being there's a significant shortage of skilled workers. Yes, Australia lost uh, a lot in net terms of skilled workers since the pandemic began. This particularly hit industries uh, such as hospitality, retail, tourism, ones that are likely to start hiring again very aggressively. Not just skilled workers, also semi-skilled, unskilled. Um, and while it's fantastic news that it looks like there'll be a broad economic reopening this side of Christmas, there still aren't firm dates on when skilled migrants will be allowed back into the country. Yes. Now, we know when... Uh, borders are opening and we know that Australians rightly are being prioritised to see their family and friends and to travel first. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has said that second order of magnitude will be skilled migrants and international students being allowed to travel but there hasn't even been a tentative date for that floater which makes it so hard for businesses to recruit and plan. And that could be some time too. Very well yeah. could be. All right uh, moving on to other things though the red hot property market there has been an attempt to try and <laughs> cool it? Well, yes, it's a, it's a start. So we learnt last week that APRA was looking at various ways to try and cool uh, credit growth at least and therefore a knock-on effect on house prices, which up 20% in Australia over the past year. Of all the measures that were being banded about, all the different options and tools available to APRA, it's gone with what many say is the, the mildest option. Uh, effectively, they're changing the serviceability ratio, which tests if interest rates were to rise, if a borrower could withstand that. Uh, it really is unlikely to make very much difference on the margin at all. It will affect people who are pushing up against their maximum borrowing limit anyway, most likely first home buyers and investors. Uh, but because this is such a small move, uh, it's very widely expected that APRA will follow this up with further moves in the months ahead. All right, Gemma, thank you. Thanks, Michael. Gang rapist Mohammed Scaff is tonight back at his family home in Western Sydney, leaving prison on parole. He served 21 years jail for a series of chilling attacks on schoolgirls. The 38-year-old is being electronically tracked 24-7, banned from certain suburbs, unable to contact victims and required to undergo counselling. 
Football Australia is rallying behind Matilda's great Lisa Devanna, who's alleged she was sexually harassed and bullied during her career. The 36-year-old claims the abuse first started when she was a young Matilda. The governing body is tonight encouraging other players to come forward if they have a formal complaint to make. And a woman at the centre of the South Australia Mount Gambier COVID scare has been targeted by vigilantes. The woman's car was set alight in the family's driveway after she tested positive. There are concerns she may have misled authorities about her movements in Victoria, where it's thought she contracted the virus. Collingwood boss Mark Corder has told the club he'll step down as president before the year is out, 12 months earlier than planned. There are believed to be three challenges in the running to take the role. Corder, who essentially took over when Eddie Maguire quit in February, says he plans to remain on the board for his final year with the club. It has been a gruelling home stretch for the latest plane load of stranded Australians. They'd waited long enough for the ticket and tonight they're back in the country, having endured a record-breaking 18-hour repatriation flight. Our political reporter Rob Scott has the details from Parliament House tonight. Rob, good evening to you. This is quite an incredible flight. It certainly takes long haul to the extreme. So who was on board? Well, about 115 passengers and crew, we understand, Michael. Australians who scrambled from all over South America to get to Buenos Aires to hitch a ride home after being trapped overseas by the pandemic. The Qantas flight landed in Darwin a couple of hours ago after being in the air, as you said, for about 18 hours. Definitely a flight for the record books. It is the longest commercial service ever operated by the Flying Kangaroo, and it was a marathon journey, 14,683 kilometres to be exact, which is about 200 kilometres longer than Qantas's Perth to London service, which was its longest until today. But QF14 was special for another reason too. The route chosen by the pilots took the plane over the South Pole, and passengers would have had a great view of Antarctica below because the Dreamliner has the biggest windows of any passenger jet in service today. But it's also the first time a commercial flight has flown non-stop from, from Buenos Aires to the Northern Territory and it means that Darwin is now the first airport in Australia and one of just a handful from around the world to have welcomed non-stop flights from all six inhabited continents. And after a long journey, what do all those passengers want? They want a good sleep. Uh, and they'll have plenty of time to do that and get over their jet lag because they are whisked straight to Howard Springs where they'll spend the next 14 days in quarantine. And Rob, these are Australians who've been waiting a long time to get home, an important repatriation flight. Absolutely, Michael. Very long time. As I said, they've scrambled from all over South America to get there. A lot of them have taken uh, a long time to actually secure seats on this, uh, this repatriation flight, and they'll be much relieved to finally get home. Yeah. Many of them spending the last 18 months away from family and friends, so a relief to finally get home. Huge relief indeed. All right, Rob's got there in Canberra. Thank you. Well, let's take a look at the race to vaccinate and there's been a record uptake of vaccines in the last 24 hours. More than 350,000 doses received across the country. It brings the total number of vaccines administered nationwide to more than 29.3 million. At this rate, 70% of us will be fully vaccinated by the 23rd of October. The 80% double dose reopening target should be reached on the 6th of November. Well, new developments tonight in the case of murdered American woman Gabby Petito. Lawyers for her family claim boyfriend and suspect Brian Laundrie stole her credit card and used it to buy flights home to visit his relatives before disappearing. Laundrie's sister, among the last to see him, revealed she'd turn him in if she knew where he was. 
First there was the Cold War space race, more recently the billionaire space race, and now we're witnessing the Hollywood space race. This week Tom Cruise was pipped to the post as a Russian actress and her producer crew blasted off to shoot scenes on NASA's International Space Station. I'm joined by astrophysicist and space researcher Sarah Webb. Sarah, good evening to you. This is all very curious. What do we know about this ambitious filming project? It is. I think it's a little surprising to people that, um, you know, we're starting to make movies in space. I feel like it could be a lot easier, cheaper, more efficient to do it here on Earth. But here we are. We now have an actress and a producer that are going to spend 12 days on the International Space Station um, capturing, you know, what I'm sure is going to be beautiful footage of this microgravity environment. Mm. Um, But I'm sure it comes with a very pretty price tag. Yeah, I'm sure that as well. Speaking of expensive things, uh, Branson and Bezos have launched their own rockets in recent months. Are there, are there any benefits to all of these extra missions to the atmosphere and space? Yes, yeah. So I, I totally understand when I, when I see people who are, you know, upset that it's kind of like this billionaire space race. Um, but what I can say, which is very hopeful, is that these type of um, space flights actually allow us scientists to do more science. So the microgravity that they experience, that weightlessness, is brilliant for being able to do scientific research. So some of the research I'm doing at the moment is being able to, you know, figure out do microbes survive better in microgravity. And to do that, we send things to the International Space Station, which is very expensive. It's very limited what you can send there. However, these type of flights will allow those very short duration experiments to go ahead at a cheaper price tag so you get more science. So, um, you know... We can judge all we want on the people who are going on the flights, but I think for science, it's brilliant, and especially for technology. We're seeing a boom in the engineering. So so all all those egos can actually help us discover a thing or two, which is good. Exactly, yeah. Let them keep paying to go to space. We'll get to do some science. All right. I like that side of it. Now, away from these high-profile trips to space, there's plenty of important testing going on in preparation for future missions to Mars and return voyages to the moon, Sarah. Yes. So I think what is very exciting in the next about a year, we're going to see a lot of different testing happening for the Artemis program, which is that first step to Mars. And it's going to be taking us mainly with the US back to the moon. And Australia is actually part of of helping engineer some of those Artemis program uh, features. And what is very exciting is the, the Starship from SpaceX. Hopefully in the next month or so, we see this incredible mega rocket uh, test and launch. And this is really going to be the workhorse of getting us humans back to the moon and investigating Mars. So very exciting. It is. It's a renaissance time, isn't it? It's a very exciting time for space. All right, Sarah Webb, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back. Five days since the PM heralded the reopening of Australia's international border. Many people are still no clearer on who will actually be able to leave and return. Time to bring in our panellists for their take on the week's headlines. Dee Madigan and Caroline Overington, great to have you both with me again. Good evening to you. Hey, Michael. Good evening. Caroline, I'll start with you first. I mean, 
I'm confused. <laughs> I think most people are. <laughs> there have been criticisms about the lack of detail about, available on Australia's plan to reopen its borders. It's like a, a great big carrot that was dangled but no details. What's your take on this? Yes, of course. And of course, Qantas and the other airlines are saying we're going to open and everything's going to be fantastic, but they can't tell you whether or not you're going to be able to get back in the country if you leave. Yeah. But, you know, I feel actually Australians have been able to travel all around the world as free people, free-born Australians for a very long time. And if you go to Africa, for example, they have typhoid and they have cholera and they have malaria. You're not, they, nobody demands that you take a vaccine before you go. Nobody demands that you have a shot. It's up to you. And certainly nobody asks when you come back what's your status regards those diseases, which are deadly. So we're making a an exception for COVID. We're saying that people should have to have some kind of special status with relation to COVID. And I actually don't think it will hold. I think it, for, it will only hold for a very short period of time. And then people will say, no, I'm entitled to do as I please. Yeah, the issues with the federal government's plan to reopen uh, the country's borders, do you think? And even questions by the Qantas chief this week about that seven day trial quarantine period, whether that's going to be possible or not, or allow people to travel. Well, the, this is the problem with it. If you live close to an international airport, fine, well and good. You can get off your plane, hop in a cab or your car and drive home. What if you don't? Yeah. How do you get home? What if you live a couple of hours out or you need to get a train or you need to get another plane? Because, you know, there's so few international flights. Unless you're flying in and out of Sydney or Melbourne, there's a very good chance you have to go to another city in transit. So there's a lot of things that aren't clear. But I, I think also... People are worried about getting stuck overseas. And we knew how many Australians were stuck for a year trying to get back. So, you know, you're in different countries, you've got different laws, you're transiting through different places. I think, yeah, as much as it's tempting to yeah. book a flight overseas, I think a lot of people are just going to wait and see for a do while. Do you know what's the more pressing concern? I had to do a bit of work with a permit, um, all approved, near the uh, New South Wales-Victoria border. They're far more interested in making sure that that border stay open, stays open freely, and like other borders would as well, domestically, so that they don't get like it was. Remember our New Year's Eve when Victoria quickly shut it down and people had to scramble to get across? They got stuck at Albury-Wodonga, they were turned around, there was no accommodation. And that's a free flow of business and trade down there. That's the border that they want addressed by the federal government right now. They're the ones that they, that, you know, they need to be sorted out because that's the most important to livelihoods and economy. Carolyn, your take on that? I think that's absolutely right. Domestic borders really have to open and they have to open fast and soon because people haven't seen their families and it's been absolutely terrible. And at some point grandparents are going to have to be allowed to see their grandchildren. Yeah. At some point, you have to be allowed to go to your mother's funeral or your father's funeral or visit somebody in hospital or just take a trip. I mean, when I saw Anastasia Palaszczuk saying to the journalists about, you know, why do you want to travel overseas? Where do you want to go? The correct answer for any Australian is none of your business. Mm. It's none of your business. I am a free person living in a democratic country and I should be allowed to go wherever I want. We have now in New South Wales... You little beauty, it's 70% vaccinated today. We're as safe as we can possibly be and it's time to let people be, just be free. All right, now, earlier this week, millions of Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram users found themselves in a digital black hole just as Facebook whistleblower lifted the lid on the company's tactics. Uh, Dee, does it worry you just how much control one man, we're talking about Mark Zuckerberg, can have over our lives? Yes, and I don't demonise him. Some people sort of think he's the devil. And I don't think he set up Facebook to do all these awful things. 
But the thing is, all the, this information this woman found out was in 2019. So we're not talking historic. So they didn't set out to do the wrong thing, but their research showed them in 2019 that it was having some pretty bad implications on the way young people felt about themselves. So it's a bit like the tobacco companies. They didn't set out to kill people, but they knew for a long time that there were really bad things happening and they did nothing about it. And I think that's the problem here. Yeah, Carolyn, this, this whistleblower's point is it was absolute profit over the people who were using the platform and, as Dee's mentioning, particularly young girls and all sorts of impacts. Um, should the US government do more? Obviously, there's the more extreme calls for Facebook to be broken up. They're not meant to have WhatsApp or Instagram as well. I don't know who says they're not meant to have, but that's the argument. Um, given what we've heard from the whistleblower, do you have concerns about any of this? There is this idea that they're too big and they do need to be broken up. I'm in full agreement with Dee. I mean, Facebook has done some absolutely horrific things and they claim to not know or to not be able to stop it. Facebook live streamed the Christchurch massacre. I mean, that is just an astonishing thing. Can you imagine an ordinary media company doing that? I mean, we are all subject to particular restrictions and so we should be in, uh, on the basis of just uh, human dignity. Facebook has put up videos of people killing themselves, committing suicide. Facebook had up people wandering into suicide forests, as they're called in Japan, where people are known to take their lives and come across bodies hanging from the trees. Facebook has done awful things to our young children and they know it. They know the harm they're doing. They know when you want to buy a couch. They know when, what colour car you're looking at. So don't tell me they don't know when a teenage girl is depressed or considering suicide or cutting herself or, or entering into an eating disorder. Yeah. Of course they do. Of course they do. Dee, as this whistleblower pointed out, at times Facebook it appears that you know they are this large organisation. There are things outside of their control, but she said they can shift the algorithm so quickly. They can be nimble if they want to, and that then leads to the allegation that there's all sorts of manipulation going on. Yeah, and I think this is my, my point. It's not that they've allowed things. It's not like they've encouraged things to happen, but they've known things have ha happened and are happening and could have changed things to stop those things happening. But those algorithms help them sell products. Having said that, yes, Facebook should be under more scrutiny. I think there's a whole lot of other media organisations that do bloody awful things too and should also be split up. You know, I do think that too much power um, isn't good for any organisation. Let me ask you this before you go. I'm fascinated by this show. I haven't watched it yet, but they're calling it the most violent show on TV. Carolyn, have you been watching this thing called Squid Game? <laughs> like, I'm such an idiot. I started watching it and it seemed really cute and the characters are really nice and yeah. you kind of fall for the guy as he's kind of making his relationship with his daughter, trying to get it work to work and he's having a bit of a rough time money-wise. And then it explodes into the most outrageous violence. Mm. And, you know, it's not cartoon violence. It's, like, really bloody and terrible. I got such a shock. And I, I think I'm going to watch another one. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, so you're, you're hooked on it or...? Well, I don't know. I just think, I mean, it's so fascinating, um, Squid Game. I just think the yeah. whole idea, apparently they didn't have any idea how popular it was going to be. And you almost want to know what's going to happen. Right. Well, there you go. Well, it's got, it's got you in. Uh, Dee, have you let your kids watch it? Well, it's not that I let them watch it. It's my 16-year-old yeah. is the one who told me about it. Yeah. So, And I did look into it. And it does look fascinating. It's supposed to be sort of really about how society is of sort of, you know, the poor people doing anything and sort of being put in these awful situations uh, because of, you know, capitalism and all this sort of thing. It sounds fascinating. But um, I did a bit of research and my 11-year-old said, can I watch it? And I said, no, nah, yeah. we might hold on that one. I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. I'm going to watch it now. 
Do you think it would have worked before the pandemic? Because a lot of it is about how much risk you are prepared to tolerate to avoid death. That That's basically the message of, of the show. Yeah. And it seems to me that it's really caught hold of the, of the pandemic that we've just lived through as well. How much risk are you prepared to tolerate? Yeah, well, he was 10 years yeah. in the making. He's been trying to shop it around for 10 years. So, yeah, it might have been just one of those serendipitous things that work. But but Korean pop is huge as well. There's this whole yeah. sort of Korean thing at the moment that's kind of... Cool. It's also good that we're seeing shows from overseas. Like, there was also The Heist, I think, that was Spanish, and there was Lupin, which was French. So it's, it's nice that we're not just seeing stuff coming out from America, I think. I had one of those bad dad moments where for some days, and I was just too busy, my 13-year-old daughter was talking about Squid Game and I took it as a cartoon or something and she was really into the characters and she got upset. And there was a storyline around Old Man and she was really into it. And I asked my other son, I said, what's this going? He said, Dad, she should not be watching this. So then I tuned in <laughs> yeah. to find out what it was. And then I had that, like, like they did. The kids told me about it. So yeah. I, I, I thought, yeah. tell me like, like, how violent it was. Sausage parties like that. I thought, this looks like a cute cartoon. Really Sausage inappropriate party. for 13 year old sleep. Yeah, I, I, don't do it. I, I reckon I might have gone on the title on that one, D, and thought Sausage no, Game was a bad one to watch. But anyway. <laughs> All right, there you go. It's been interesting. All right, D. Carolyn, great to talk to you again. Have a good rest you of your too. week. You too. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, Gemma Acton's back with a look at the markets. Thanks, Michael. Well, a strong start across Asian markets suddenly gave way just before lunchtime here in Australia. That was thanks to the Reserve Bank of New Zealand hiking interest rates by 0.25%. The bank pointed to rising cost pressures as a key reason for its move, and that was enough to spook markets once again about the looming threat of inflation. Wall Street has picked up on the negative sentiment with all three indices set to retrace last night's gains. Meanwhile, the ongoing global energy crisis being felt acutely in the US, UK, Europe and China continues to help the oil price. That's as businesses turn to oil due to shortages in natural gas. And the Aussie dollar is back on the decline, now buying around 72.3 US cents. Michael. Thank you, Gemma. Well, thank you for your company this evening from the team here at 7 News. That is the latest. I'm Michael Usher. Have a great night.